Welcome to the Football Podcast with me, Paul O'Neill, and me, Paul Larkin, with fun, frolics, and football. Right, Paul? Right, Paul.
scared to death and scared to look. They shook. Cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death and scared to look. They shook. Cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Living the life that comes with guns. The numerous ways you can choose to earn funds. To all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. So, we are here on a Thursday because of the lurky. It's as simple as that. So, I wouldn't expect the usual slick professionalism that normally associates itself with this show. Um, but what, there is something we need to address right away, which is we had a few uh, tweets and things about the slaughtering that Paul had been getting recently on this show. Let me tell you folks, there's going to be a story at the end that's going to justify all that slaughtering. Uh, what I will say now, and I'll give prior warning, I think Paul will agree with me with this, he's, he is here, and he's also in a film next week, based on his life, played by Jim Broadbent, I'll just let you know about that, um, that those of a nervous dis disposition do not listen at the end of the show because it will blow your mind. So with that in mind, we'll take you back 15 years, Paul, to the midweek fixtures last week, which, as I've said all fair, I have notes for, but really have no idea what I'm talking about because of brief, very brief notes and don't know what any of it means. So we'll start off with Aberdeen 2, Celtic 3, um, what I would describe as a towsy affair. <laughs> aye, aye, it was a... I watched the highlights back after our game and... Um... It was a, some game in football. He's not it, it delivered what you want in a big game under the lights. Five goals, mm. yellow cards. Uh, I think Celtic were completely deserved winners. Um, mm. Ran off into a, a quick lead like they seem to be doing every week now. Aye. Um, and to be fair, Aberdeen they dragged themselves back into the game. Um, the good goal for Ramirez was quite good. But you've got to hold on to that. What was it only a minute between the two goals or something and equalised and Celtic mm. went 3 2 up? You've got to hold on to it for longer than that and try and just take the sting of the game a wee bit. Well, it's when they, it's when they say you're at your most vulnerable, isn't it, when you've just scored? Um, mm -hmm. And it was, it was, I mean, it was, you know, first half, 2 0 up. I mean, it was cruise control, you know. Aberdeen had done absolutely nothing. Joe Hart could have just sat in the stand. Um, we were playing the type of football and scoring the type of goals you do when. You're winning every week, you know. It doesn't necessarily have to be pretty or anything like that, but it's you know coming off. Um, but then you know they made changes, obviously, and um, they come into that a wee bit. But the the thing that's pleasing me about the Celtic team now is it's winning all types of games differently. Um, it's not just gubbing teams and all the rest of it because nobody can sustain that. Um, it's digging out results. It's you know, and as you say the. The kind of winner for Jota is 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 one of them where it's very difficult to replicate that feeling in real life. A complete despair, then deep joy within. I think it was sixty seven seconds or something like that. Um, there's no many times you'll get that. Probably outside of a crap sexual experience. <laughs> no, you're right. It's the it's the the lowly having chucked a lead as well and thinking, oh, here we go. Mm. To, aye, to the euphoria being right back on top. And what you what happens in that circumstance, although you didn't realise it at the time, is it completely knocks the stuffing out of the opposition. Aye, 100%. They've just climbed the mountain and suddenly somebody's just threw them straight off it, like, you know. Um, 
Safeco 2 Hibs now didn't see anything in this game, did know there was a bit of an uproar about sports scenes' lack of coverage. I'd seen a few people say that uh, Hibs had a penalty shout which they never showed up at all. Mm. And apparently it was quite a decent shout for mm. the guys I know that watched the game. Aye. Um, but I what, they, they missed something else as well that was quite controversial. I didn't know it was like a, an offside goal or something. Aye. But it's, you know, it's par for the course, let's face it. Um, Ross County won, Livingston won. Um, I'll be honest, I can't remember fuck all about this. Alan Forrest scored for Livingston again. Yeah. Um, who's completely outshining his brother, as I say, every week. Um, I've got doing here Obelai penalty. Did he miss one? Yeah, he missed a penalty. Aye, it was like five minutes to go with the killed again. And it was a shocking penalty as well, to be honest. Aye. And then uh, County scored in the 93rd minute, which he seemed to be making a right habit. He scored a right goals to aye. rescue points in there. Well, somebody actually brought up a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you spotted it, about how, you know how we talked about Brian Rice being furious at interviews and that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he said, well, Malcolm Mackay, you never talk about him being furious. And it's like, well, I don't care. <laughs> Malcolm Mackay, well, his fury's been well documented. Um, Dundee United 2, Motherwell 0, um, Levitt and Watt. Now, not really that interested in the game. What I really am interested in is this is scuffle on the touchline between Tony Watt and Alan Burrows. That's absolutely bizarre. Um, we spoke about midweek mm. um, to each other. Like, I don't know what Burroughs is getting involved in a situation like that for. He's a, a chief executive of the club. Like, why is he? Why is he even in that on the touchline in the first? Well, place? it's funny you say that because I noticed him in the tunnel of the Motherwell Aberdeen game. I know, so it made mm. me think: is this where he watches games for or what? It might well be, aye, but like, he should not be getting involved with players. No, it doesn't matter what what's history is or what's nah. winding fuck up or nah. what was getting dogs abused on night as well for the Motherwell fans. So. I think he's quite entitled to get a wee bit back. I know, I but it's just ridiculous. I mean, honest to God, like I've said it before, like this is what your your dinosaurs of the game will point at when you talk about fan ownership and that, and say, well, you end up with people like him, who's continually makes an arse of himself because he talks about that well, like a fan, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, you know, listen. Let's face it, both of us go to games. People who listen to these fucking uh, podcasts are all fanatics. We're no tourists. How many of us, given the chance, would love to go to the tunnel and fucking sit about a player and just go and get what I mean? But you can't do it. You can't fucking do it. So, aye. Um, and as I said before, there was an incident with Alan Burrows at Fur Park against Celtic a few years ago. It was when um, Celtic got a penalty in the last minute for Park. Scott Sinclair scored to maintain the unbeaten run. It was a big hoo-ha, but oh, it's never a penalty in that. But it was a penalty as it was seen for the correct angle. And what Burroughs was doing was he had an iPad in the press lounge at Fur Park showing all the press journalists to make sure they knew that it wasn't a penalty and he'd been basically cheated. And he was actually caught by Peter Lawwell, you know, actually in the act. And mm-hmm. somebody who's seen every side of Peter Lawwell, let me tell you, when you get the side of anger for Peter Lawwell, it's like a caged tiger. You know, it's like... Um, the, the it's like Malcolm Tucker, you know that <laughs> kind of thing, and apparently Alan Burrows ended up busting out greeting. Such was <laughs> I, such was the fucking adversity. And by the way, I mean I know that sounds bizarre, but I've seen the levels of anger that Lowell can get to, and I can tell you, but it's not for the faint-hearted, like. But you know, you didn't get embroiled in that shit if you're the leader of the club. No. You I, I think fucking, as well, like it's. 
I actually think he does a lot of good stuff in terms of engagement with the fans in that. I think Motherwell are quite well run in that regard. But if that was a, a chief executive or chairman or any other club or a bigger club, they'd be getting uh, spotted for that. They would. They It'd be a massive deal. I mean, it's kind of like, see when Nan Budge came in and she was fully like, oh, I'm going to revolutionise the game and that. And you, you think to yourself, you've no any concept of how this runs and how much, how many obstacles are going to be put in front of you and how you'll be ostracised by anybody who wants change. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll come on to that with Celtic later. But, um, and of course, now I'd say to you at the time, and I'll say it again, this shocked me, Hearts 1, Dundee 2. Um, obviously, I wasn't keeping up with it during the Celtic game, but... When I seen it at the end on the on the phone, I thought I had to do a double take. Fucking Dundee actually won the game two one. I mean, what was your take Aye. on the game itself? Um, dreadful to be perfectly honest. Um, we started the game pretty well. Uh, I'd say first half we scored like twenty minutes. I think it was Sim scored. Um, I, I thought we were comfortable with a better team, and I think that's part of the problem. I think we were too comfortable. Mm. We looked like we had two or three efforts that could have went in. <laughs> if we got the second, I think we would have strolled it. Uh-huh. But I think we went in at half time thinking ah, this this is done. Like they're they're not much caught. And it, it never goes like that. And no. we came up with the wrong attitude in the second half. Dundee mm-hmm. were scrapping for everything, um, and then they scored a goal via an own goal for Civic, which was pretty lucky for their point of view. But it was, they done well to get to the byline, cut mm-hmm. back, and after that, it just completely changed the shape of the game. Like they got a whiff it. We failed, we failed to bits. We had a couple of chances immediately after that equaliser. But after that, it was like we ran out of ideas. And then I genuinely think if we just kept our shape, we would have won the game as it went on. Mm-hmm. But I think Nielsen panicked. And he started making subs and changed, like he went back to a flat back four. And then we actually finished the game with like one central midfielder, three wingers and two forwards. Mm. And you wonder why they couldn't get any change out of it. Because who's going to supply them the ball if the central midfielder is one player? I mean, and this, Dundee just got a lift for that, and then they scored about ten minutes ago, and you honestly could have played all night. I think we were they were really comfortable after. That. We talked about this last week or whenever it was we were on, and you can just sense the knives getting sharpened for Nielsen now. On the back Aye. of this and previous results at Easter Road, and we'll, we'll come on to and all that. That um, it's easy to kind of bluff away when on the camera when you're winning, but when you start losing games and drawing games. That's when people come out and basically go, well, I told you, I told you he's fucking useless, yeah. you know. Well, I, I think I've said it on here before as well, he's got a sizable amount of fans that are almost waiting for him to fuck up. Mm-hmm. So as soon as he does, they're like, see, that's him again, or he's got, he, he bottled at Ibrox, which he bottled at Easter Road, mm-hmm. and that's three games in a row. And like the Dundee game was a, a shocker because what really disappointed me was we needed a, a reaction for the Ibrox game. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. If he came out and won three or three nothing comfortably, mm-hmm. You go right, fair enough. It's a whip, but that, you follow it up with that, and it is a bit a, a bit of a worry. And it, it made subsequently the the Scottish Cup game a huge pressure on Nielsen because I think if he lost that and got knocked out the cup, we'll, we'll come on to that obviously. But well, I mean, it, you just broke the golden rule of podcasting there. You're talking about something in the future, um, <laughs> but we'll try and pretend it never happened and go into something else because there was a battle of the Saints last week. Um, and I'll leave our man Lenny to say where it was because. Stadium names didn't seem to be his forty. From St Mirren Park, I better get that right. Some boys didn't like uh, me saying the wrong things, but I've got here. I've got the staff vest on. Five minutes to kick off. Four changes for Saints. I'm delighted with the lineup. So predictions are one 0 Saints. Let's see what happens. Half time. <laughs> 
So one one Smicer Stadium. I got it wrong again. Fucking hell. Many stadium names as I've got. Um, so saying he's got a penalty, Middleton won it, I think, really well. Uh, Henry, as we thought, had scored. We had to retake. I think the ball rolled, apparently, from what I hear. Um, they had a couple of chances. Jones looks pretty good, I must admit, on the left hand side, but they got a dodgy penalty. Fucking unbelievable. But the ref. Um, so, aye, half time, one each. Hopefully, get to see a couple of new signs in the second half. Time in the snow, thank fuck for that. Uh, I do believe we're bottom of the league again. Uh, yeah, once again, Lenny getting himself into a bit of a tangle over stadium names, but of course, as usual, St Johnson got beat. Okay, on to the cup the cup, the cup, the cup. Murrowell 2, Aberdeen 1. Um, now, obviously. You know, this was the, the point where people started to notice that Aberdeen had now went out of two cups early doors, <laughs> ninth in the league, and it ultimately cost Stephen Glass his job. Yep, and I don't think it's a surprise. I think um, we t- we've been texting each other after the games on Saturday and, and said it, you've said exactly that. That's in both cups, early doors, as you just said. And like, the only, the only team they've beat this year is Edinburgh City. Aye. And it's not. It's not been a good run. It's not been a good season. Full stop. But they've mm-hmm. also been on a terrible run as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was a surprise at all that they pulled the trigger on. To be honest, I think it had to be done. No, I mean, um, it's just was they working, and it and it makes it. You know, we talked about um, the naivety of somebody like Alan Burrows. Is it you know Dave Cormack? How many months ago was it with his own slaughter and everybody for slaughtering Stephen Glass and all the rest of it? Well, you know, you're five minutes in the job where. Get a fucking chance before you start burning your colours to the mast, you know what I mean? Um but ultimately it's it's just not good enough for Aberdeen and uh, I just I think it's an absolute honestly absolute shambles that they bring in again Barry Robson and Neil Simpson and that. I mean, where's the plan? Okay, what I mean mm-hmm. you see you talked about uh, yourself during the week uh, the approach for Goodwin turned down and all the rest of it. Like, we're talking about Aberdeen Football Club here, right? Now We've had this so-called successful period under the Derek McInnes that yielded one trophy, right? And their plan is to get a guy for St Mern who, to my knowledge, um, hasn't even made the top six. No. And that's who they think is going to be the, make them the great leap back into the, you know, second, third, fourth positions. Uh, I think I think Goodwin's done a good job at St Mern, but it's a completely different set of expectations and whatnot. Mm. It's a huge gamble to go for him. And I, as you say... Where's the planning, right? They must have known Glass was on a shoot leg for a while. Mm. They've got to start thinking about if he goes, these guys come in temporarily and we go after X, Y, and Z to have their targets ready. Mm. And it doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, it's not, it's only been a week, I suppose, but it, it doesn't even seem to be, as you say, Robson and stuff. Yeah, I would have thought Brown would have went in there and Aye. probably caretaker. I think Brown's, something a bit different. Brown's probably shrewd enough to think, I don't know what I attach myself to this too much to now. You know, because it's like anything. I mean, I've heard a few rumblings from Celtic fans about why did we let Bruni go and let him his last season in football at Aberdeen? Like, for fuck's sake, Ken. This, you get absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, it's like brilliant player in his time, absolute legend on the part of that, but his time was up. But no, it's, it's an absolute fucking shambles, Aberdeen. Aberdeen shouldn't he be. And sometimes it's almost like 
if ever a club lived in the past, it's Aberdeen. You know, mm. you can't have a conversation about Aberdeen without mentioning Alec Ferguson and fucking Real Madrid and all that, which is great and it was a phenomenal era, but it was also a fucking long time ago. Mm. You know, and I've done pretty much zero since, other than winning the two cup. Although I did say actually, uh, David Weatherspoon on the telly scene. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this on the sports scene. He said the last team he won the two cups in one season was Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about when you were in the team for St Johnson last season? Did that look fucking unbelievable? St Mirren 4, Kelty 0. Pretty stop standard. Yeah. I expected, really. Yeah, uh, I think getting an early goal in a game like that really helps as well. It just completely kills any. People genuinely believe like that teams are doing well in bottom leagues and that, that they're going to actually thrash premiership clubs and whatever. And no, no, it's like pulling a couple of birds in a gunner and expecting to go to fucking Beverly Hills Hotel and do the same, you know. <laughs> um, and in nil, safe go free, never seen it, didn't care. Uh, Partick nil, done you 91. What the, f- the state of the fucking park? I, I genuinely don't think I've seen a pitch like that in a long time, that isn't mm. something like juniors or something. Like, oh, how did it get to the go ahead for one? The ball wasn't rolling. There was one where the boy, I think Tiffany, was trying to take somebody on. And the ball just stuck completely deep. <coughs> Aye. Decent strike for Hearts, winning goal. Hearts winning goal, but... Um, it wasn't. Eh? Apart from that, nothing really. Eh? Um, Hearts nil, Livingston nil. Um, now, again, I mean, it, 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 for your description post-match, it sounded to me that Livingston played pretty much anywhere they think they might get beat. You know, they just Aye. sat in and, 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 and tried to nick one, basically. Aye. Well, they, had a, they had an early chance. And I actually thought they might be coming to open up, but mm. after that, they just basically sat back. They were quite happy to try and hit on the counter, but they didn't really even commit in that fashion. No. Um, they hit the post, obviously, and it bounced back into Gordon's arms, but even that was a bit lucky deflection to Fuck take it past them in the first place. Aye, that was a weird... It was a deflection over, and then the way it bounced back was quite strange, or not? I know. I mean, Hearts weren't great at all. It was all too... Like, fine, plenty of position... As soon as we got to the final third, it was all too laboured and we didn't really look like we had many ideas to break them down. And Livingston were really happy with that, I think. Um, went to penalties, which was a bit more never than it should have been. But as I say, I think if we'd lost that game or got knocked out, I thought the pressure would have been really on Nielsen. Well, were incre- we saw the incredible sight on Saturday, Craig Gordon saving a penalty. <laughs> which... Aye, um, I, he, he faced that, it was that Obelai again, he missed one midweek. Mm. You could just tell he wasn't confident when he was stepping up. Yeah, and he was—he looked like he made his mind up at the very last second when he was putting it. Aye. I think Gordon was smart enough just to stand up and wait. Aye, aye. Um, okay, so it's Sunday morning. You're in your house. You're not feeling great. Arbroath versus Hibs is coming on the telly. You're sitting there with bated breath, desperate for the game to start so Hibs can get pummeled, and then what <laughs> happens? You get sent to the shops. <laughs> Go and explain how that happened. I had to go get medicine. It was lunchtime, so my wife was feeding my daughter, and we were all sick. We all had the the orgy, and I had to either feed her or uh, go to the shop, so I thought it was quicker to run to the shops. And then you missed Arbroath scoring. I did. (laughs) Craig Wakeman as well. Um, So, aye. So, of course, Arbroath, it was pretty bad conditions, obviously. Arbroath went one up. Everybody's thinking, aye, here we go. But let's face it, Hibs were a class above. Hibs dealt with it I've got to give them credit I know that I like doing that very often but uh, I thought they dealt with it really well because everybody was expecting that to be an upset or potential and they Mm. just dealt with it really quite professionally Um, 
are both about to say though, they go one nothing up and they're quite clearly a, quite a relatively defensive team and that's what they're built on Aye. being solid and hard to beat. And the equaliser they gave away was pathetic. Like oh. Mitchell was just completely unmarked. Listen, if they do come up they're, and they, you know, they're not strength and severely, they're going to get absolutely massacred in top flight. Like They're going to be a great in their job. Um, but we did see as well uh, our former podcast colleague Jose made a t- appearance on the telly. Now, I was led to believe he wasn't going to go to the game. Suddenly he appears there with a, a, a headre- headdress that looked like he was about to join the PLO. Um, <laughs> and then from that moment, he then... Started sending me non-stop texts Basically wanting a medal for um, Being there Demanding that all clubs rip their seats out Next season and get back to standing And that's what everybody wants and all that kind of thing And this went on till About midnight, long since I was in my bed Because I was ill as well um, I got up in the morning and he'd been Texting me for the pub, going on about how You know, the culture had shifted And all the <laughs> Just like, fucking hell man <laughs> but no, it was safely through, as was Celtic 4, Rafe 0. Um, you know, what can you say? Celtic, <laughs> I think the standout for Celtic fans would be, you know, um, we went a goal up, okay, great, scales, good goal. And then I think there was that attitude, of, oh, that's it, okay, and we'll just piss about. And mm-hmm. you saw and heard Ange Postacoglu almost spontaneously combust on the fucking side of the pitch. Just demanding the levels get up and they come out and score three goals and the levels do go up a wee bit. Um, and that was that, really. There wasn't really much else. And then, of course, there was uh, Peterhead now Dundee 2, which, of despite the win, uh, something we predicted on the show last week, James McPake is out. And who is in, Paul? Exclusively reveal. <laughs> Mark McGee. Now, I'm going to stop you. Absolutely Right. When you see it coming out absolutely anywhere, it's not really if you think about it, because who's the fucking director of football? I, I know, I know, Strachan's best, best body. Mate, but I don't now, think... You don't think... Well, let me tell you something. When Gordon Stratton came to Celtic, the first fucking player he signed, basically, was Paul Tell for his golfing body. The first decent money, basically, spent, or one of the first decent money spent on an absolute fortune, on an absolute diddy, Adam Virgo for Brighton, where it was uh, Mark McGee, it was the manager of fucking Brighton, you know what I mean? So... The very notion that they got him in quickly suggests to me that somebody's had a wee conversation and said, but if we get rid of McPeak, who can we get? And he said, well, I could get Mark McGee right away. And they went, fine. I think that for all the pressure McPeak's been under as well, though, like, I find it bizarre that the second one the back <laughs> won at Tincastle in a comfortable win, a potentially tricky cup game. I know, they were um, very comfortable at Peterhead. You know, I, I do think, them. though, then, um, that... Peterhead were denied an absolute stonewall oh, penalty like one nothing. Aye, aye. I don't know how the referees missed it. I know, fucking absolutely mental. And then, of course, we had the cup draw. We've seen what it is. So basically, I predicted half of it. I want that on mm-hmm. record. Um, incredibly, Sevco got an away tie. What happened there, Paul? <laughs> the boys must have been heated properly. <laughs> um, Celtic go to Tanadice. Hibs mm-hmm. go to Motherwell. And Harps. Yeah, home to Aye, that's, I was waiting for that a wee bit, <laughs> a wee bit quicker. Okay? Uh, let's get the home draw and already dreams of Hamden are like the Gorgie faithful. Hi, well, it's, it wouldn't be an easy game. So it wouldn't no, be in great form. I think it's won six at the last seven actually and drawn another one, so it'll be a hard game, but to avoid. Uh, like the likes of yourself and uh, it's at home as well you can't really argue too much mm-hmm. about that at this stage alright and of course there was a, a midweek fixture 
uh, this week that was in domestic football, which was Aberdeen against St Johnston. So we'll hand you over to our intrepid reporter, Lenny, for his take. The midweek red road to relegation. Pataudry uh, Stadium, I think that's correct, as per the rules. Um, four lineups, I get four lineups, four changes, I think, or three. So he likes to mix it up, Callum. Um, I think. Boys in the car, pre-match predictions can take a draw. To be honest, clean sheet will do. We'll just see what happens at halftime. Seeing he's one 0 at the halftime. Uh, fucking came from anywhere. Goldman scramble. Middleton's probably playing the best game I've seen him yet. Um, there for a few chances for long range. Alexander's had three or four fucking belters, but unfortunately he's went down. I think he's done his calf. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Parish. He has his moments now and again, but we'll see. Um, Pies, phenomenal. Bovril, Watery, Pish. So, full time, one each. Um, again, game of two halves, I suppose. But key, key things again, the penalty. I don't know if we're just giving refs decisions or it's just one of the things being bought in the league. I've no idea. Um, but it's. You would have taken it overall, right? Because Aberdeen have had definitely had chances and all the rest of it. They've finally kind of got going. Um, they still look lost when Brown went off. Um, who seems to be still dictating play, and I think. Um, forgot how much a cowp Pitodre was. It's been about four or five years since I've been up there. Um, but yeah, the injuries keep coming. I mean, for the goalie and Henry, who's scoring an absolute nightmare. Booth's obviously been consistent, fairly consistent left back. And Halberg has been playing well, so I've still to find out what the what the crack is there for the visit of uh, the Jam Tarts on Saturday. So I'll uh, be an interesting one. We'll surely see who the ref is because that'll probably dictate what happens. But um, hopefully three points. Oh, and just some advice for the the boys that work in uh, and girls that work in Aberdeen kiosk. Can you hand out stickers, please, for your hot chocolates and bovros? Uh, referencing my uh, feedback at halftime. Cheers. Right, Paul. Fucking hell. Hot chocolate at football matches. What the fuck is going on in Scottish society? Uh, not for me. I wouldn't even no. have it as available for sale, to be honest. No, neither would I. Yeah, I Unless you're what, under 12 and you've got a show idea. It's, it's, I mean, it was like, as I said, when I was listening to him, I thought, is this the guy that was in the behind the bar and tiny hoolish and still game when they went up for the new year? Um, but, aye, you know, when you're talking about stirrers for hot chocolate, You've you've reached the fucking peak first world problem, like. <laughs> um, no doubt about that. Okay, so uh, a couple of subjects before we get to our uh, dangerous story. Uh, use it or lose it. Now, Manchester United are saying to their supporters, if you do not use your season ticket for league games, you are not eligible to buy for Champions League games or European games or whatever. Bayern Munich have been doing this already. Some other clubs throughout Europe have been doing it. What's your thoughts on that kind of uh, sort of scheme when you buy a scene ticket? And do you think, Paul, because a lot of people didn't realise this, right? And I didn't fucking... I, I knew this, but it didn't occur to me. You're not allowed to give your season ticket to anybody else. Uh, That's in the rules, right? Of course, nobody pays attention to that, right? That's fine, and we're not going to anyway. But if you're not doing that, 
if you're not going to a game, you can idea. Do you think you should be punished, or do you think you have the right to fucking do what you like, basically? I, I think at clubs like that, where there's demand for fans who want to go to these games, I, I think it's probably... <coughs> it's, it, it's rubbish, right? Because it's a symptom of modern football. But for these clubs, they didn't want seats sitting empty for league games because it no, looks terrible. It does. And it's people who can afford to do that would do it. Because why else... You'd only buy a scene ticket and they'll go if you could afford to do that, right? So you're you're probably doing people the, the chance of seeing their club who actually want to be there. Yeah. So I can I get why where it's coming from, um, and I it's probably fair enough. Like if that tried to happen at Dinkastle or something, like you kind of get cup games if you didn't use scene ticket, there'd be a bit more of a, probably pushback because I mean, people space to do. Aye, people buy season tickets, right? Fair enough. But should they be rewarded not just for buying a scene ticket but for actually attending the home game? Aye, aye. I, I think if you if you're missing the odd game because you kind of make it for travel mm. or whatever or what that that's entirely fair. Like you kind of help that. But if you're buying it and basically never attending, aye. and you're only buying it to guarantee yourself tickets for like Champions aye. League games aye. and things like that, then I I think you should be punished probably I mean, that, that is, I think that that's a you know tiny bit prevalent at Celtic. I think it's massively prevalent at teams like Manchester United, Liverpool. You know the top top clubs. You know, I know a guy, right, so I know a guy who's who shares a Liverpool season ticket, right? Shares it with a guy who lives in London. So he basically doesn't come up for games midweek or Sundays and he'll deal share the games and then this guy will get the other ones and so on and so forth. And what he says is like he also knows the guy who controls like the Liverpool Norway branches season ticket holders, right? And he basically knows on a home game if they're gonna turn up or no. So clear, because clearly they people in Norway, unless they're fucking mega bucks, are not going to be able to afford to go to every home game, you know, fly mm-hmm. over and all the rest of it. But at the same time, they sell their season tickets. You know what I mean? They get the sixty quid or a game, whatever it costs, and that's that. Um, you know, it's it's happened. I would say the the, the closest example with Celtic would be clubs in Ireland who you know will have X amount of season ticket holders or season tickets, I should say, and then. You know, maybe left with 30 of them when it's we're playing fucking Motherwell, but when it's fucking mm-hmm. like Safeco or the Champions League or Europa League or whatever, it might be, you know, the lobby there kind of thing. Um, I know it's something that certain people at Celtic have tried for years, you know, you have to reward people who come to Celtic Park. They are mm-hmm. your bread and butter, but they don't. <laughs> they, they're, they're, you know, there's no kind of bonus scheme, there's no point scheme, there's no kind of you get points off if you get. Uh, with your season ticket, you buy stuff in the Celtic show, but nothing, absolutely nothing, uh, which is just fucking bizarre, like you know. But I do. I think mean, we we used to do things like that as well. Like <coughs> I don't know if you remember when I first got my first season couple of season tickets, it was like the big thick book, aye, aye. and it, at the back was just full of vouchers. Like mm. you could go bowling at Fountain Park and you get twenty percent off the club shop, or well, and but stuff like that doesn't exist anymore. Nah. We used to in the nineties get free uh, travel on trains in the Strathclyde region. That's huge, massive. You know, now you get absolutely nothing. They just oh, that's all you know. Just pish, you know, the makeup kind of thing. This I mean, it's basically the equivalent. I mean, you get the letters and you see here's a hundred pound off your next wine delivery, and you're like, wait a minute, a hundred quid's worth of wine for free, but then you need to order like ten grand's worth or some pish. You know what I mean? Um, but it's an interesting. I mean, I know Bayern have been doing it for years, and Bayern are very, you know, it's a wee bit like, I always think people in this country, you know, and by that I mean Britain, 
they get incredibly self-entitled when it comes to tickets and all that, and nobody can tell me what to do and all the rest of it. And I know for a fact, Bayern, huge discussions about not just this, and this in, in their fans groups and ultra groups and that, people that leave early. Mm. I mean, some of the ultra groups were wanting them fucking decapitated. You know, because they're saying, like, you know, you have no excuse. I don't know this is different for Scotland, the way we set up our groups, but you've been to Bayern Munich. No excuse to leave early. Right? No. no. Get in the oh, get the car out, the trains out. The transport's perfect. You get these folk every single week at Scottish games, they'll leave no matter what fucking the score is, what's happening in the game, whatever. Um, and it can get a wee bit like, oh, Jesus, you know. Sometimes people forget, I think, that they're there to support. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not there to manage a team, as some people think they are, and we might come on to. But aye, it is an interesting one. And I suppose it does come on to, it leads a good segue into... Things that annoy you at football matches, Paul. How long is this going to be? <laughs> well, I've got a big list. Um, actually, I was going to mention fans that leave early uh, as one of them because, especially, like, some people might have to have travel arrangements, right? And you can and catch your last train a midweek game or whatever. That's not the kind of person I'm talking mm. about. It's the guys that leave with like five minutes to go and it's only one nothing, or or, mm. or even more bizarrely, if it's one one, right. why would you choose to leave a game yeah. at that point when you can still win it or get back right. in it? It drives me absolutely mental because then they, they disrupt everybody else as well by squeezing past them, and it's just something I've never um, quite got my head around. Like if you're getting pumped or whatever, and it's two three nothing, you can't really force mm. people to stay. But like when the game's in the balance, I find it yeah. really, really odd. And, and another one is fans that turn up just to moan. Like don't get me wrong, no talking about like shooting at decisions or enraging Aye. something like that. It's folks that come and from minute one just mm. start complaining about the certain players or it's like they, they just spend a week building up this frustration and they'll just let out for 90 minutes aye again like some kind of therapy session more about absolutely everything you always see when that happens the the counter argument always is well I've paid my money I can do what I like I and I I, I, didn't, I didn't agree with that I didn't agree it's the same with the leaving thing you know any time you put that on Twitter the day see these fucking cunts that leave 10 minutes to go they should just fucking stay out and uh, You'll get a thousand people, I can do what I like, and you'll not tell me to do anything. It's like, who the fucking hell are you? It's a collective. Can what I mean? It's not about individuals. Um, on that similar theme, one thing that drives me fucking mental, and it normally happens at cup finals and European games and that, are folk who turn up and don't have a single clue where they're sitting. Mm. But, did they, 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 they think, you know what, I don't know where I'm sitting, I'll turn up 10 minutes early. No, they turn up 10 minutes late, steaming drunk, full of the concession stuff, the pies and all the rest there, and spend the next half hour of the fucking game going up and down the stairs, looking along fucking rosy seats and all that, and then convincing themselves that because they can't find their seat, somebody must be sitting in it. Well, that, that something similar to that happened to me with the Scotland-Israel game. The last one, one three two. I was sitting in the three two game. So I, I was in my seat early, and these two drunk boys came up and they were like, "This, this is my seat." And I went, "No, I, mean, I, sh- I showed them my ticket. I went, this Aye. is my seat." And I looked at theirs, and they were like, <coughs> a completely different section. Aye. And I was like, "You're over." The-. But because they had to then move, they basically just went, "Okay, no, squeeze along." One, I went, "No, it's a complete circle. <laughs> if I squeeze along, I'm in somebody else's seat." Mm. It's just a, a domino effect, but aye, it's that that kind of arrogancy turning up, pushed late, no, no, where you are, where you're gone. But it's, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess, 
I guess all mine, I mean, there's so many things like fucking, you know, stewards that think they're fucking, you know, like fucking Stalin, you know. Mm. Don't fucking, you know, oh, what about this, what about that, fuck off again. But the collective mind will be basically on the modern fan in terms of support and the moaning and all that. And it's the it is, it's the people who moan when we concede a corner or, you know, eviscerate fucking players as if that's always been everybody's fucking opinion of that player. Mm-hmm. And you kinda you know, in the in the lighter moments can say, What do you think your abuse will do to help right. you? I think like as well, I'm even talking about guys who maybe just get frustrated if you're drawing a game like light on and somebody makes a mistake and you go, for fuck's sake. Uh, it's just guys that seem to turn up for minute one. And it's like they almost didn't want certain individual players to do well. Aye. It's aye. It's because, aye, because they can't put their hands up and say, I've got wrong about him. Or I'm not going to celebrate his goal. It's nonsense. I mean, I, you know, I've reached a stage in my life watching football that, you know, like, see when you're young, you'll never concede anything. Ken, mm. your team gets beat. It's fucking ah oh, fuck off. It was lucky and all that kind of thing and all the rest there. And I'm I am at the point definitely where I can like put my hands up and say oh, we're beating the better team. Or I didn't mean I, I like it. I'll still be as fucking disappointed or sad or upset or angry, whatever it may be. But I can see it, you know, in terms of like there's not really much to complain about here. We were played and that's it kind of thing. Mm. But there is absolutely no acceptance of that in the modern day fan. It's just Honest. fucking get rid of everybody, you know, and all the rest of it. Which I can never understand in the sense of the team because the team swirls about from one week to the next. If you're talking big picture decisions and the way club the club's running that, then that's the people you want to get rid of. And they never talk about that. They never mm-hmm. fucking say. Like, you never look at things and go... I mean, we've got this ongoing farce now with Celtic, right? About the tickets for Ibrox. So, to give people a background, just in case they forget... Celtic had done a deal with the Huns eh, at the start of the season to get 900 tickets each for the first two games and then to have another meeting regarding the last two games. And the Huns said, well, we want a guarantee that we'll get at least 900 for the New Year fixture, which became the 3-0 game. And Celtic said, well, we can't do that because of COVID. Because this is back in July and there wasn't as much known as that. So the Huns spat the dummy and had already sent us the tickets for Ibrox, but then cancelled all the tickets. Right? So... That was it. So, of course, there was mere discussions and Celtic are absolutely... Well, certainly... Excuse me, the Celtic supporters of the years or officer was desperate to get to a point where we get proper crowds back. Mm-hmm. So then Stuart Robertson came out. The, that's the Sevco CEO of Casey. Have you heard them? And you probably haven't. Uh, and sparked the dummy about the fact there was nearly Sevco fans in Celtic Park. Well, he'd already done that deal. And you would have wanted to pull tickets back. So didn't give us a shite about start posturing about it now in the media. But then he's come out this week and said, oh, by the way, we'll be back to 900 fans again. Now, mm-hmm. this is totally Celtic's fault. They were told, the board level people were told, this is going to become an issue in the second half of the season. The same thing again. And they done nothing about it. So, as far as Robertson was concerned, he was like, well, we can just do what the rules say and this is how much we can give them. And Celtic have been caught in the hop. Mm-hmm. Now, at this moment in time, they've said nothing. I was told on Wednesday that a statement would be after the manager's press conference and then they bottled that. And the reason they've done that is because they have absolutely no idea how to tell the fans, we've made a boo-boo here and fucked it up for you to get the full broom on. 
which is what yeah. they should have been saying straight away to Sevco is full broom loan or fuck all. So now they need to try and fucking spin away out of it. And, and it's an utter shambles. You know, that's what your fucking football fans should be looking at. They shouldn't be looking at, oh, fucking Nike Johnson, he always gets injured and all that kind of thing. It's like, give the laddie a fucking break, he's 20 year old or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I love the way, it's the same way, I tell you now, it really annoys me. <coughs> Foreign players, for wherever they're meant to be, are supposed to hit the ground running immediately. Mm. Like, for example, uh, if somebody went to Japan to work, if he's Scotland, day one, minute one of their work, they should be on it for the, that second. Like, what fucking planet are they living on? Nah, it's, it's the same with all football players, eh, all fans, sorry. They just expect players to think, it, they didn't think of them as human beings, that they might have things mm. gone on in their personal lives, or it's maybe been a big move away from home for them, or they have family members that are sick. None of that's ever taken into consideration. If you're not performing in that 90 minutes on the park, you're fair game for getting slaughtered. And I get that to a degree, but if it's an ongoing thing, you maybe have to look at why these things are happening. Yeah. And I think as well, to be fair, um, Ange Postacog was very strong in that, where the guy said to him, the four Japanese player, and he said, I think that's a dangerous road to go doing saying that. They're four individual human beings. They're not mm. a collective of fucking things that, you know. But I, I mean, you suppose you could fucking, you could go on all day um, about this stuff. I mean, it's just like, I tell you, I think it rips my tits. Why does everybody wear a bubble jacket to football nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> Can I say I really noticed it? Oh, well, just next time you watch a, a crowd, an away match, anywhere, you watch them. Anyway, from that to this, the question I ask you, Paul, will Scotland be independent in our lifetimes? It's, um, my heart says yes, my head says no. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're actually getting further away from it than I thought we were. Agreed, yeah. I thought we're getting closer to it. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting closer and closer to it, and I think we're getting further away from it. Um, the just the, the the people that are after independence, I'm, I sometimes question whether they genuinely want it. Yeah. Or if they just like being like being in power or yeah. having the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced it's. I'm not convinced that the yes or the the independence movement is united anywhere near enough. Yeah. It's all it's all fractured, um, and if you can't take advantage of the absolute shit show at Westminster now, no, no. Then I, when can you? I think I that's think my worry. The the power thing's key for me. I, I do think that a lot of them have got comfy in the chair. Mm-hmm. The SNP seem to just rattle round the same folk in different jobs. Who? How many jobs does Humes or Yusuf need to fuck up before they just say, "Look, this guy's hopeless," you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely, I don't care what the polls say. I think we're further away now than we were ten years ago. Um, on the basis that you have to play a bit dirty sometimes, you know, mm. like as you say, the shit show that's going on right now in Westminster and all that. Why are we not saying everything about this every single day? And people say, "Oh, well, we are," but they're not. Anyway. And also, like I didn't think. I mean, I think one of the worst fucking news ever done was that stupid national newspaper. That basically mm. fucking elevated these absolute no marks to tell us how to run Scotland and all that and like and just give the same stupid views we've been hearing forever. Oh, let's have Leslie Riddick on this. Oh fuck off, Ken. And all these half what's appear on social media like they've been around forever. And the thing is, I remember the, the referendum twenty fourteen and I was at college at the time, I was surrounded by a lot of younger people, and it was like you know, 
they had been in politics five minutes and they were trying to tell older people what the score was. And I'm like, you're so naive. And you would say to them things like, do you realise how many people there are in this country who will do anything to stop this country being independent? And they would be like, but why? Well, fucking hell, open your curtains, you know? I know. I do think as well, though, that people who are <coughs> quite often, and I think it was right as well, you could always say that, like, if you didn't like the SNP, the SNP aren't, the indep- aren't independent, right? So we yeah. become independent, you can get new new votes, new parties, all that. But I do think it's an easy target for the, the people who want to be part of the union because the SNP have taken a off the ball massively the last few right. years. And they can just point to that and go, look at the Nick of record on X, Y, and Z. Agreed, and, yeah. it, and it's hard to argue against it because no, they have taken the right off the ball massively. They, they genuinely had a policy of, let's show how well we can govern the country. <clears throat> and then do a referendum so that we didn't disappear when our big reason for being you know, is achieved, much like, say, UKIP or whatever. And you're right, it's been education is an utter shambles in Scotland. Um, the health service continues to be, you know, you could go on and on and on and on and on the rest of it, and nothing seems to be addressed. They've been in power now since 2007, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there are people screaming at us going, oh, we've done this, done that, the rest of it. We pushed that vote into the electorate because we want to be independent. That's your job to be, you know, make us independent. <coughs> As you say, like that was the thing about you know, it's not about the SNP. Mm-hmm. I've never voted SNP in my fucking life. I want to be independent, you know. And and um, I think I told you a story many years ago, which will. This isn't a story that's going to uh, nervous disposition. But if you are on nervous disposition, probably turn off now. I was in Robbie's bar no long after the um, referendum with a guy called Paul Nicholson, who, if you've ever been in Robbie's bar, I can assure you he was in there <laughs> at that time. And uh, to give you a wee bit of background into Paul Nicholson's character, I was in there in 2001 and uh, we were we had just won the league against St Mern and I went to Hibs against Rangers Old Co <coughs> with Jose. And we were in um, Robbie's and all of a sudden this coach Lodi Hunts came in, right? Which normally never happens in there. And I mean who's at one end of the bar and Nicholson is at the other end of the bar we are an Ireland really hat one. Ireland right across it. And all these fucking bears are in fucking trying to get served and all that. And to one end of the bar Nicholson gets up on his chair, looks right along the end of the bar and shouts to me, Paul, Paul! And I turn around and he's like... Champion <laughs> So that's the day of the character. Um so we're in there and drinking and all the rest of it and this guy listened to us talking and uh, the guy says, Oh, just listen to your chat there, boys. Now straight away that puts my heckles up and it puts Nicholson's heckles up because he's just interrupted, right? Um during the day, Sunday I think it was, and he went, just listen to you, I'm a yes voter. And Paul Nicholson went you're a fucking wanker then. Now, Paul Nicholson, like myself, is as big a uh, let's destroy the British state as you could possibly imagine, right? Guy. <coughs> but his second comment was, where the fuck have you been all your life? And the guy looked at him and went, well, I don't know what you mean. And he went, we've been fighting to fucking destroy this fucking union since the day we were born. 
Where have you fucking been? Eh? You've been around for two fucking years and you fucking now wonder why it's no fucking been delivered. You should have been fighting with us for day one. <laughs> right? And although that's kind of funny and all the rest of it, right? He has got a point, you know? It's like, why have you not been fighting all the time? And I've dealt with so many people around that referendum. Oh, we need to do this, we need to do that. I you know. Like, it's not even a debate with me about... Are you going to vote yes? It's like, what I am going to vote yes, then what are we going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, I think as well that <coughs> it's easy to drop out the, the consciousness for some people as well. Aye. And uh, because it's not prevalent. And if you genuinely want it to be, to come to fruition, I think you're right. People have got to push for it now, or two two years ago, three years ago, keep it gone. Didn't they just take the last referendum defeat? Mm. On the chin and say, "Oh well, we lost fair and square." Because if you want it and you believe in it, we keep pushing. Can I just say as well, and this is the particularly for independent supporters who uh, are on Twitter. If someone you know or see on Twitter voted no, and continues to have that belief, changing their mind to vote yes will never happen by you telling them they were fucking stupid to vote no. Mm. <laughs> and they have still no worked that out fucking eight years later that you can't do, ah, fuck it, you know. Anyway, I digress. So, as I said, you had a story to tell at the end of the show and uh, say if you're easily offended, nervous disposition, or frankly have any moral fibre whatsoever, don't listen. Okay? Hopefully they're gone now. So, <laughs> Paul... O'Neill, uh, a couple of tweets and what have you, um, I think Paul McQueen was one of them, a couple of others, was saying, oh, he's getting it tight and all the rest of it. So let me just give you an insight into the world of Paul O'Neill over one week. And I'm going to call this story from saint to sinner. So, on Thursday, uh, um, my wife took pretty no well. Um, and so we were like, oh, the action stations had to happen. So, a lot of stuff had to be done, and Paul kindly um, volunteered, well, I asked him and was happy to drive me uh, round about this, that, next thing, to, dig, to get out all that shit, which was very much appreciated. Then I found out, and at that point, I was beginning to start with the Lurgy. That was the first day I was like, oh, God, I'm, and I'd actually had been sent home for work because it was getting that bad. I then found out that I'd basically passed the Lurgy on to Paul, he subsequently passed it on his uh, wife and child. So I felt really bad about that, obviously. But he's like, no, 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 that's fine. <coughs> so at that point, Paul's status could not be in higher. <laughs> then came Tuesday. Uh, I was back at work. <coughs> and uh, my wife, by this time, had found out had tested positive for COVID. And was in isolation. And it was her birthday. So, you know, I'd been at work, it's a 12 and a half hour shift a day, so I hadn't been in touch with her much and talking to me and talking about cases and cards and stuff. And I said, did you get one for Paul and Steph? No. Now, this is quite strange. Doesn't normally happen. So I came on to Paul back in nine. I said, oh, hey, you, uh, you forgetting something? What? So then Paul does this thing, I've never understood this, and perhaps he can explain it right. I ask him a question like that, you know, forget something, he doesn't know what I'm talking about, but for some reason he doesn't come back 
to the message for like 40 minutes. Whereas me, I'd be eager to find out what the fuck it was I was asking that I'd been forgotten. I said, uh, my wife's birthday. And he said, quite curtly, I have to I say, well, I wish them a happy birthday on Facebook. So I was like, all oh, right, so what's exactly is going on here? Because we have a relationship where presents and things are exchanged. And I said, well, you know, it's my wife and I gave your wife a care and bought the wine. Then Paul, now Paul can jump in here anytime if I'm saying a word of a lie. said, oh, aye, we got the care, but we absolutely did not get the bottle of wine. Now, at this point, he'd raised his aggression levels quite higher. <laughs> it was near aggression. Right? They had been raised higher. I mean, the, the tone changed, right? So I thought, is this guy losing his mind? I vividly remember it. The reason being, it was the first time we'd been out that year, basically. We'd met at a place in Edinburgh, and I'd, it was around Paul's wife's birthday, and I'd asked Paul for a recommendation about what specific kind of wine she liked told me got it gave her it I remember her saying um, you know oh you shouldn't have bothered and that kind of thing blah 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 and relayed this information to Paul and what was your response then Paul? I admitted right away that I made a Roger Hunter yeah. and I apologised yeah so that yeah. basically meant the saint to sinner in the space of this and I actually said to you how do you do it? How do you manage to be so popular one week and literally the devil, the motherfucking antichrist, the next week? Uh, just, can I just put it up in my defence? Right? <coughs> I did miss uh, Fiona's birthday yeah. and I apologise, right? Um, I just, I forget, loads of folks' birthday, I didn't mean it, it's, it's, no, it's no point, it wasn't even purpose, mm. right? And I apologise mm. when I realised mm. I'd done it. Mm. I'd been feeling shite with the working myself, I wasn't yeah. paying attention to stuff like yeah. that. And the thing with the, the wine with Steph is I genuinely thought that was like September or something better than that and Steph's mm-hmm. birthday's in the May. Just yeah. completely lost track with all like fucking lockdown and when you can go yeah. out and you haven't eaten cards through the door and stuff because I've had so many occasions where cards have came through the door. Um, from us. That I just lost track. From us, mm-hmm. right. Yes, um, from you, yeah. So, for the listeners, that's why Paul gets so much abuse and that ladies and gentlemen is our show and we're going to leave you with a song because I'm still struggling and we're still kind of isolated and Paul's family and I I'm going to leave you with a song that's absolutely appropriate for the last week or so and we will be back on Sunday hopefully feeling better fresher all that shit and it is our 50th show spectacular so, get well soon. Well, out to the east, there came a hard man. Oh, all the way from Brighton. Ah, glory, hallelujah. Cod liver oil and the orange juice. Well, he went into a pub and he come out paralytic. Oh, VP insider, ah, 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 what a hell of a mixture. Got never oil and the orange juice. Sex rears its ugly head now. Does this bus go to the Daniston Pali? Oh, I'm looking for a lumber. Ah, 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 ah. 
glory, hallelujah. Caught in the oil and the orange juice. Eyes up the talent, and lo and behold, in the Johnson, he met Harry Mary. Oh, the flute of the gorbles. <laughs> Are up. Oh, new Mary, are you dancing? Oh, no, it's just the way I'm stunning. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. Carnival oil and the orange juice rebuffed. Oh, well, then, Mary, you're one in a million. Oh, so's your chances. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah, carnival oil and the orange juice, rebuffed again. Well then, Mary, can I run you in? Oh, I've got a pair of sand shoes. <laughs> yeah, love the funny. Carnival oil and the orange juice, never say die. Sways about nonchalantly, picking his nails with his bayonet, and he knocks it off. Through the back clothes and empty the dunny. Oh, it wasn't it for the first time. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. Cotton oil and the orange juice. Then it came her mommy. She was going to the clutchy. Oh, I buggered off sharpish. <laughs> Looking for her heart, man. Oh, he's joined the foreign legion. <laughs> Sahara and her camels. Cotton oil and the orange juice. Then Harry Mary had a little baby. Oh, his feathers in the army. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. Cotton oil and the orange juice. 